Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, coach at Top Step Training. I've got Marilyn. Hey guys, good to be here. You can find everything on me at mcc.coach. And we have Elliot. Hey guys, Elliot Bassett, uh, coach at Mountain Endurance. And yeah, looking forward to the chat. Awesome. Uh, welcome back stateside, Elliot. Thanks. Yeah, three over three months. But yeah, thank goodness for Andorra or else I would have been breaking the law. So not too bad. Also, Andorra, really steep hills, really <laughs> steep. So the flat roads are like five and a half percent, and that's not a joke. So, Ooh. okay. Well, uh, welcome back to some gentler roads. Thank you. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, Kona just happened a few days ago, and I was pretty excited to get you guys on here to chat about what you thought about the race. Um, so let's just dive in. You know, it was a, a two-day format. Um, what'd you guys hear about? I, I don't want to dwell too much on like the island stuff. I want to get right into the racing, but uh, what'd you guys hear about reactions from people that were that were there? Like how how do you think they were able to pull it off? Yeah, I mean, I had uh I had four athletes racing and I had a big group of friends that went and, um, other athletes that I coached that went as support team. And, you know, the, the common theme was exactly what we thought that the Island was definitely bonkers, you know, just a ton of people, but I think it went very well. Like most people really thought it was, you know, a good change now, you know, that's a lot of people on that Island, but it sounds like that, even though the days before were really busy and there was a lot of people there that it, it went well, I didn't hear any major, you know, complaints or catastrophic emergencies or, you know, anything that was, was too crazy or unmanageable. So, I mean, hats off. It was cool to see the women have their own race and then the men have their own race. <laughs> a couple of guy friends I know that did the men's race today days before they're like, Oh man, I spent too long cheering on my significant other <laughs> on the Thursday. And they, they had a hard time on their race. So maybe people make different decisions that way, but you know, I think, I think it went pretty well. So hats off to Ironman for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say from my perspective, I mean, if I'm gonna be honest, the only thing I really care about is like the, the, how clean the race is and like, what's the racing situation. And I think having two races and have like the women having their own day, I thought was really important. Um, I mean, I think it helps the men too. Uh, I really have always wished there was like a full broadcast just for the women's race and a full broadcast just for the men's race. Cause I'll sit there and watch the thing for eight, eight and a half hours straight. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I also thought from like an age group perspective, like the women just having their own field to themselves um, was great. And I would love to see that stuff in big championship races more often because the women's race is often impacted negatively um, just by like basically people in their way. So uh, that was my, that was my takeaway and it seemed like it went off well and, and whether it's on the Island or another location, I'd love to see more two day races and each, each, professional race and amateur race getting kind of their own shine. Yeah, no, I agree. I was definitely a skeptic going in, but it, it did seem like everything, it went pretty smoothly from kind of all fronts. And 
yeah, they're able to have more officials on course both days because there's a little more room on there. And I think that, you know, you saw a few more penalties and I think that's, that's overall a good thing, right. For the keeping the sport clean and keeping kind of like the groups split up a little bit. So, so yeah, I thought it was definitely a good thing and I totally agree. I, I hope they do. Yeah. I hope they can find a way to, to keep it like somewhat fair and balanced as far as um, keeping the women having their own day, maybe finding a way to not make it on a Thursday, but, but all in all, I think it was a really positive thing. You know, the only only one thing I did hear that was quite a problem that I'm sure Ironman will figure out, especially if they're adding a lot more entries, which it sounds like they're going to be, is they ran out of a lot of stuff at the aid stations. Uh, that last aid station on the bike, actually, they like had run out of water and they didn't have the number of volunteers and um, what they needed for that volume of people and competitors. So that's a problem that obviously as they increase the entries, they're going to have to figure out. And, and I think with how hot that race is, I mean, having, having aid stations that run out of water is, is pretty catastrophic for, for a lot of athletes. So, you know, there, you always knew there were going to be some logistical issues that they're going to need to figure out. And I don't know what that means in terms of all you people who go and cheer and watch, maybe step up and volunteer so that, uh, you know, there's only so many people that live on the island. So everyone's going to have to chip in a little bit to make it more possible or, or I don't know what the answer is, but I'm sure they'll figure that out. Did hear that was a bit of an issue though. Yeah, actually. And they also had less aid stations on both the bike and the run. And I think that was a, I know one of the things talking to athletes was like, Hey, guess what? If you're having a rough go of it, it might be 25 minutes between aid stations. And that's a really long time if you're on that black asphalt in the energy lab. Um, and then uh, I don't know if you guys like looked at the exact space between the aid stations, but it was the longest at the end of the run. And I was like, well, this is maybe, you know, like I've put on a lot of races and I was like, well, if I change one thing, it would probably be to evenly space these things out. And I realized there's certain locations, there's places where you can like get that much water to the location. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, I would kind of say shame on them for cutting aid stations and, and not having enough um, aid. But on the flip side, I think, you know, having the two separate days was really great. And as to, you know, what days of the week they should be on, should they, you know, I don't know the answer to that. But um, yeah, I guess if, if, if there's one thing I would critique, definitely be the, the lack of aid stations. So let's move on to the speed of the race, because if you look at the times, both races were pretty quick and at a world championships. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, yes, both, both races were pretty quick at the world championships. Um, and, and really the, the main thing that I heard from people after the race and granted, most of the people I talked to are people around my own age, which is like, you know, old and, and kind of been around the sport for a while. But the main thing everyone said is that the game has changed. I heard that phrase from literally every single person I talked to in reference to the race. And that it's like, you know, it's been three years since we've had Kona. And in that time, all of a sudden that the, the bar is in a different place than it was three years ago. And I think that was reflected on the women's race and especially in the depth of the women's field and in the men's race. It just, I mean, what was it? The top 10 went under eight hours like that's uh no it was more than that well i have the well, i have the women's results up right now i can switch it over but um yeah to see that many people going that fast i think 
we were talking about this earlier, right? It's the 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 depth of the field, but the numbers too, right? Like the number of athletes that are at that same competitive level is it's just getting better and better. You know, it used to be maybe there's you know two or three that are that competitive and they're pushing each other, but now when you've got an entire field and then and as well as the numbers are increasing, that's uh, we saw that evolution with ITU as well. Remember, I mean, you would know that, Elliot, is that you know, when it was not draft legal and then when draft legal started and then, you know, just got the field got deeper and deeper and more and more athletes and then it just made it faster and faster. Right. So I think we're starting to see that same thing with with Ironman racing. One, two, I think just as the sport ages, you're going to have athletes that have been coming up in the sport since they were kids and through the system, as far as short course racing, and then they step up to Ironman or they transition that they realize that that's the better distance for them, which is very different. You know, it's like any sport that grows and matures. You know, the nineties and early you had athletes who we're coming into the sport from different backgrounds as being from, from being triathletes, you know? And so that's going to make the, the, the racing faster as well. They're, they've been a lifetime competitive triathlete versus they were maybe a runner or a swimmer, and then they've got to develop, develop into a triathlete. Yeah. I think that that's a really big deal. Cause again, not to reference the, the 2019 Kona, where I want to say the average age of the top four was 37 average age of the top four. Oh yeah. 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 In 2019, race. the men's yeah. race. And then of course, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a little bit cherry picked just because when you look past the top four of the men's race, it gets a lot older this year, but also that three-year gap is such a big deal. But I mean, um, a decade difference is a really big difference. Like that I, is, I, yes. I get that. Yeah. I mean, they happen to pick top four because Max Newman stuck in there and, and it was four rookies. And, but I mean that, that 10 year gap, I think is like, what Maryland is talking about is like these 23 and 25 year olds have grown up as triathletes where I look at the well, 37 so, year olds, very few. Right. Yeah. And so Max like race draft legal for Australia and like he has 60 starts, right. He's, he's 26 and um, he has 60 starts and like, there's not a lot of impressive racing, you know, from uh, if you actually know the sport, you know, he has podiums at Conti cups, which is like, pretty impressive like you can't be slow and have podiums at conti cups but you're you know there's not a lot of impressive like actually high level races and essentially he would he was didn't swim anywhere close to fast enough to be a true contender um and i mean the same can be said honestly for gustav i i I was actually kind of interested because to me it seemed like there was a lot of guys swimming within themselves at the front of that group but i think what a lot of people don't realize is some of those guys the reason they rode so fast is because the swim to some people looks fast, but to what they're capable of, it was actually not that fast. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. A guy like Josh Amberger is just like hanging out there doing backstroke. Like exactly. Yeah. And you know, and Josh obviously could swim well, but um, you know, Sam, Sam did a lot less draft legal racing, but he did a lot of French grand Prix. So it's like harder to find if you're an English speaker, but you know, he has a lot of experience with rough and tumble, very high speed um swimming and, and biking and running in close quarters since a young age um so 
so yeah, I guess let's let's take a quick step back and let's talk about maybe all the environmental things that is that kind of affected the race and has made it faster over time. Um, Should we just go around circle and we each get to say I went until we run out yeah, of ideas? Yeah, Ellie, you look so ready. What do you got for us? Uh, super shoes. I just want to point it out that, um, you know, 2016, they were like being illegally used in the Olympics by a handful of people, mass marketed very late 20 i think 2019 was the the first time that multiple pros at hawaii were using them but they've gotten a lot better and there was no hawaii in 2021 so i think the the thing that jumps out to me is like that everybody's running faster and it's not because they're fitter it's because we all have springs on our feet now but and there's no rules right there's like for for uh what is it iaf or whatever they have like stack height rules and all that like a goose effort in that prototype and they were questioning it, but Iron Man was like, well, we don't have any rules. So you can have as much stack as you want in your shoes if you're a triathlete, apparently. Yeah. So they they I can even get it, crazier. Yeah. I heard they combined his shoe with the original, like Air Jordan with the pump. And that's why he's running so fast. Go, 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 gadget shoes. <laughs> yeah. He's just springing along. Oh my gosh. You know, though, I do think some of the run times have to do with that same thing that we're talking about, the uh, number of athletes and the tactics, you know, the very obvious was that there was, you know, everyone said this year, there was record low winds, like no wind at all. So that makes a difference. Right. But in, we all already know that. So we're stating the obvious. I think the other piece of running fast is when you've got more ability to play tactics and people who know how to do that very well because they've been racing that way for a lifetime and then there's just more people to play those tactics with really smartly right even in the women's race we were talking about that earlier then that allows for faster run times right i mean what you what you put out on the bike energy wise. So the kilojoules you put out, how much nutrition you're going to have to consume, how hot you're getting, how much you're sweating, because you're able to play your tactics a little bit differently because the number of athletes and the number of athletes going that fast, that's going to allow for the faster marathon on top of yes, the super shoes and those kinds of things. So I would say conditions play a part, but just Again, it it's going to circle back to the dynamics of this whole race. You got more athletes that are swimming together, more athletes out on the on the bike course together, and all at the same ability. And so that's uh, that's going to allow for those faster run times as well. The uh, I was going to say like the efficiency of running with a group, right? When everyone kind of falls in footstep, and like I don't know if that's actually been proven scientifically but I think everyone's always kind of noticed it when you're running with people, all of a sudden you can kind of like relax, even if it is at a higher pace. And there is some like economy to be gained as far as like run efficiency. So. I don't know. I always struggle with that because I need to take six steps for everyone else's two. So I try <laughs> and fall in sync and I'm just way out of sync every time. <laughs> you're can't do it. it you run at like 195 rpms you're you're the only person i've run with who i like always look over and i'm like am i a loper no just <laughs> what, what is, oh, little tell legs. us a little bit about what you're seeing from from your perspective jesse on all of that like the conditions but just i mean you train with a lot of these guys that were out there and and chat with them because you're out there still racing them so i'm, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say on all that 
Yeah, I think there are a few like things that are kind of like like staples, like the start time has changed, which means you can get to Javi before the wins, right? Ellie, you're talking about that earlier, like that we didn't have much win for the men's race, but even the women's race, like they're basically starting in the dark now. So you're getting out of the gun a lot earlier. You can get to the turnaround a lot quicker, maybe it's, beat it's 35 minutes with the with the women. It's a lot of time. And was it 2017? They shortened the swim course by 200 meters, which right there, that's just three free minutes. So like just cut off three minutes and that's three minutes less of effort. And then you add the 25 minutes and then you start doing the math and you're like, oh, so you're riding your bike and it used to be you'd get on your bike and it was already 80. And now you're getting on your bike and it's like 76. And core body temperature is a main limiter in this race. So if you just turn down the heat a couple degrees for an hour, like for the first hour of the bike ride, you're going to be further up the road because of less wind. And you're going to do it with less effort because you weren't in as hot of an environment. Exactly. Sorry. No, yeah, that was good. And I mean, and then there's like, you know, the bike technology keeps getting better. You know, I think that's probably small gains at this point, but it still is gains. Like, you know, there are new aero bars, there's all these, and more people are getting testing. Um, I think that like, you know, wind tunnel testing or other things like that seem to be more and more prominent. So more people are having access to that a little more slippery in the wind. So there's like, you know, run shoes, bike technology is improving. And I think uh, those are kind of like the, some of the facts that are going into a, this, but the other thing we were talking about is, um, is like, yeah, the amount of people that are there, like amount of people in the women's race, and then the technology behind what people are eating and, you know, at, you see a lot of glucose monitors and I think we all give them a hard time because they're kind of funny, but, uh, but I think that they, you can actually learn a lot from them, right. As far as like learning how to fuel, maybe you don't need it in the actual race, but if you learn how to fuel properly and you come up with a strategy that you can like implement on race day and yeah, you keep your glucose a lot higher. You've got a product that you can eat and you can eat a lot more of it and you can carry it with you. Like that's something you were talking about at the beginning, right? Elliot is like being able to actually carry that fuel, like while you're riding. I think that was off air, but well, right. But yeah. We, oh, before we started recording. Yes. We were talking about how over the years, the efficiency to be able to carry a large amount of calories that sits well in your stomach um, and be able to carry it aerodynamically. And we've seen part of that in bike design and aero, like aero bar design. But we've also just seen it in like quite literally, there's a lot more liquid products or like easier, like, like you said, nobody's taping bananas and multiple sandwiches on their top tube and riding in big flapping jerseys, right? Everybody's got a skin suit. And now instead of crazy, huge aero helmets that heat you, everybody has like aero helmets that keep you cool at the same time. And if you just look at the lineup of a lot of these bikes, you're like, where's the food? And where's the water? And you're like, oh, it's all hidden. It's still there. Everybody's still eating and drinking, but it's just not slowing you down as much. And, and so like, that's all free speed, right? Um, free efficiency that gets you down the road with the same amount of effort. And then the nutrition products have just advanced so much too. There's so much, you know, one of the limiting factors is if you can't absorb that nutrition when you're racing at that intensity and that kind of heat and you're, you know, buckled over you know, throwing up or not able to actually absorb any of it, you, you can't race fast, but the nutritionists, the products are so good now. I mean, I can remember us making our own like random 
mixes that we hoped would work. And, uh, you know, sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. And you had to count on the fact that he had a gut of steel. So, you know, the, the products are so advanced now and so easily digestible that I think that that helps too. Right. And totally. I think part of it is just like the awareness, like everybody, you, you don't talk to anybody who's in a race who doesn't have an actual strategy. It used to be like, I mean, it still happens in marathoning, right? There's a high level U.S. marathoners from Montana and she just did her first marathon and she was like, oh, I didn't really think about fueling. And I've always thought like most marathoners, when you talk to them about fueling, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I always thought it was so funny. You start talking, it was like, have you thought about eating? You know, and they're like, uh, no, because marathoning is all about being tough. And like Ironman used to have that too. Um, and like you said, Marilyn, a lot of like iron gut was a part of the sport. And now it's just like, no, just figure it out. We've got all these products. You test out a few, one of them is going to work for you. You figure out your strategy and everybody knows that's a part of the game. So there's so few people who are like dropping out because of poor fueling. So some people are still going to underfuel a little, but very few people are just going to not even have a plan. Yeah. I mean, I want to say when I started, I was shooting for like 250 calories an hour and I felt like I was like getting a lot of fuel in and I was like doing it right, you know? And now mm-hmm. I feel like, like the minimum I hear of like the pro guys, it's like 600 and like the minimum. I mean, it seems like it, man. It seems like everyone is like way over 400, like even the little guys. Um, cause I mean, when I race bikes, I would do like 450 and 500, obviously I'm, I, well, I used to be your size and I'm a little chubbier, but, um, that most people would think like, right. If I put down 2000 calories in a four hour bike race, that was a lot of calories for a 140 pound guy. But, um, I'm surprised that everybody's more, you're thinking five, six, like, I mean, I've coached somebody who did 550, but he was really big. Right? Well, and, well, that's the other thing too, is if you look at the pro men, I think the trend is like taller dudes with big, powerful legs. Like when I sit in the starting line, I am looking up at a lot of people. Well, the guy in first and third are not exactly huge. That's true. Um, so, but you know, they're also sleek. I feel like sex appeal. Like how much, the real question is how much faster does that make you? Right. Like Gustav's little mustache thing. Is that worth five minutes, 10 minutes? I don't know. <laughs> well, that coupled with a smile, it's gotta be at least five. That's a, I know. That's a minimum. I should worry. He knows my girlfriend's name. It's, I know. Um, but, but I do think, I mean, I'm joking about his smile, but I feel like you could look at the people in the back half of the race and everyone looked a little bit happier than I've ever seen. And I think it's like, has to do with the feeling, right. People are not like dying at the end of the race. You saw like Chelsea Sadara, like she finished strong, you know, and you're seeing that kind of thing from a lot more athletes. And I think being well-fueled and not, even if it's not like a major bonk, but just like that fizzle fade you get when you're running low, it just seemed much less prevalent in a lot of the racers. So that's actually a good question. Cause when you say, when you said that you're talking about fueling and I was also thinking that a lot of people, like I was saying, like the swim maybe wasn't as hard. The swim was on the men's side. I thought was a lot less faster than it. I thought it could have been. And on the women's side, there was a lot of people who were in. So there was the first pack with Lucy and Fenella. And then there was that second pack. And that second pack just confused the heck out of me. Cause there was a bunch of girls I thought would be in that packer faster and they were behind and then there was and the women's race and the swim was much wavier i think it was safe to say right the, the conditions were harder yes. um and then there was 
there was a lot of girls who were in that second pack who I was, I was like, man, I think they could swim with Lucy or at least be closer. And I think they just were chilling. And I think a lot of people have figured out like you have to have the speed, but you don't necessarily have to use it right away. You just have to be close enough and then kind of like go at your pace. And you were mentioning Chelsea, like a lot of times she was just kind of kicking it legally in the group. But then once it got later in the race, she was like, okay, I'm ready to like, I can ride solo because I've been going at like the right pace for her. And she's got that speed, right? Um, she like, she did race draft legal. She won the last, she did her last race. She was roommates with Erica um, in 2018, her last draft legal race. And she won a world cup. Like not too many people have won a world cup. Um, and she has, and that's kind of like the speed she's coming from. And granted swimming was her weakness, if you will but at least she's in the ballpark of some really fast swimmers. So, yeah, I think the, the dynamic on the women's race in this swim was a little bit interesting because of the current. And I think that maybe changed like how people were able to swim because it got kind of pulled out and then to fight it coming back. And I think that maybe threw some people for a loop, whereas the guys had a little more calm of a day and they kind of like more of them seemed to clump up a bit in that kind of large front group. And then you saw them all kind of hit the bike together. And then you saw them like, again, kind of ride together. And it was a much bigger group, I think, than we're used to because there's just so many more guys like, and same with the women's race. It was a bigger group than we're used to because there's so many more girls that can actually ride that speed. And I think that was, that was really cool to see in both races that, I mean, there was a group of like 15 women that all got out of the water together. And then we're all like riding legally together on the bike and I mean, yeah, they, some of them kind of fell off, but, but it was cool to see that, that depth in both fields and, and then to see some people kind of like ride through the fields, like, like Magnus kind of just riding, catching up to the group in like 10 K and then riding straight through them. So I think there's definitely some more kind of potential to be unlocked there on, on the biking front for, for both the males and females. What did, so you, I was just... did you, you both had amateur athletes there as well, racing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you notice the same changes for your amateur athletes as we saw with the professionals? Like how did, what was the comparison of, okay, we're talking about the pro race, the men and women's and how much it's changed and the dynamics of that. The conditions are obviously like the aid stations, the nutrition, the super shoes, you know, all of those things impacted the, the amateur race, but was there anything like, was it, was it the same kind of thing? Like there was so many more athletes out there. So you saw the different results from your amateurs or was it like, no, this is the same Hawaii as it always is. And we we're seeing the same things from the amateurs that we have for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. I think I, that it's, um, it's a little bit less pronounced, right? Because I think that's always how it's going to be, right? You're going to see more kind of at that pointy end, but it does seem like the times are progressively getting faster across the board. Like, you know, it, a good race now seems like, you know, it, it doesn't get you that same place where a good race would have three or four years ago. And that's kind of what I noticed in the results. Where Do you mean purely from time or like execution standpoint? Um, I, I mean, all of the above, right? Like it, it's hard to look at just time, right? Cause it can vary, but like time, yeah. a well-executed race for like this athlete that maybe would be on the podium for his age group in a normal race. And usually is like fairly close in a Kona, but then you look at like this Kona where it's like, well, now he's like a little further back with like everything else is kind of equal, you know, maybe similar power, similar ish run. 
And, and so, yeah, I do think that there is that depth of field is growing. Um, I, I will say though, that I think the aid stations impacted the age groupers a little bit more since there was pro fluids. And so I think the run times don't look quite as, as quick, um, for the amateur race as they did for the pro race uh, kind of across the board. I mean, not that they would ever be the same, but just like that percent of that, um, percent of that same time, I think they're a little bit slower. And I do think the aid stations played a pretty big role in that. The wave starts too, right? Because like, say you've got, uh, you know, instead of everyone just starting together and they've got a pack to swim with and they find their group that is the same speed of them. You know, I had amateur athletes that were because of their wave, they might be a fast swimmer, but they had to swim through all the waves in front of them, which then is like a lot of like navigating in and out of people and, and not so, you know, and swimming a lot more on their own. You know, if they don't, you might have, let's say the amateur field all goes together, men and women. Now you've got a wave situation where they've got to swim through the slower wave people in front of them, but they also have less people to swim with in general that way. So I think it changed, you know, and for the amateur field there, the changes were different than what they were for the professional field. So the, you know, the swim dynamic was a little bit different. Uh, the bike probably the dynamics were just a little bit different. I saw a lot of the same things on the run that we've seen for deck, you know, for, for a really long time is that the run gets hot and it seems to catch people off guard every time, no matter how much they know that and prepare for it, they're still like, wow, that was hotter than what I thought it was going to be. And that's just like, we know that we know Hawaii is really hot. We know it's humid. We prepare for it, but it's still, I find it interesting that that hasn't been part of the conversation with how fast the pro field went. However, it was like a huge part of the conversation on the amateur side of the racing where a lot of them still, we've heard that, you know, year in and year out, it's like, man, that rate, that, that run just gets so damn hot. And then the less aid stations made it even worse. So I just, I don't know if you guys had similar sort of experience or feedback from the the difference between the pros that we watched and talked to and then and what we saw and then the amateurs that you had there racing or you know i i think with the the women's race in particular on the amateur side i mean whether we want to say it out loud or not there's a lot of women who historically just draft their ass off through the field and that's how they do good at these races and some of them don't, and some of them ride cleanly and are constantly trying to ride cleanly. And unfortunately, a lot of amateur guys ride like assholes around fast women. Um, and so I think that negatively affects a lot of women who are trying to ride cleanly. So I think in some ways, maybe this gave them a, a clearer field and a more calmer field to execute their race. Now, on the day, that's also just a different thing. Um, and then and then so some of those people you know they're either having there's less guys for them to draft off of so maybe that makes the race harder i don't know i don't it's not like i did a crazy deep dive on anything like that and it's not like i have a list of people who i think do that um but i've seen it firsthand you know and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i was curious how that would happen um and then i think you're right Marilyn. i i think like the everything being a little bit slower I think like it's just not quite as fast and I think the heat is still hard and I think that amount of fast people together you only get one chance to do that race um 
in the heat a year at most. And in this case, most people haven't done it in three years or never or four years or five years. And it's that combination of a lot of fast people more than they're used to all being around them, plus a hotter, more humid condition. And it just makes it hard to know what your limit is. And I think it has more to do with how fast people ride. Um, and like, of course, it's how fast you run, but you often you notice how fast you rode once you're running, if that makes sense. I think we're all on the same page on that. So anyways. Yeah. And the, the other advantage they don't get is they don't get to start at 625, right? If you're a wave you start. And but some of them did start a bit earlier. Like some of the waves started earlier than seven, which, which historically should be a, which should be a good thing. I didn't do a deep dive on like which age group, you know, because a couple of years ago, there was people starting at like past eight o'clock and that was just like horrifically hot. Right. Yeah. I, well, I think that happened in like 18, 19, maybe I can't remember, but um, yeah, I have to go back and look at it. So. But I will say it like, like I was talking about as far as, as far as takeaways for like, that I saw the pros do very well that I think the amateur field hasn't like quite caught up with enough is the fueling and the fueling really well. Like I saw a lot of pictures of pros with a bottle down the front of their Jersey. And I think it's because like, maybe there was a, a one less aid station or they had just got their special needs, but they were, you know, they were like making sure they had enough fuel on, on board and just, but a I lot don't... of that was uh, a lot of the arrow testing is shown like if you have a bladder in your stomach, it's possibly more arrow. So it's like a way to carry stuff and it's more aerodynamic. And but like I'd see like full cages and like another bottle there. But yeah, no, I it does like it looks pretty fat, looks pretty hidden, right? Um, yeah. But but I just I think that the the attention to detail on that is just next level with with the professional field, and I think that it hasn't trickled down quite enough to the amateur field as far as like just how, how detailed they can be to have a nutrition plan and then execute it on race day and how much that can actually positively affect their race. You know, it's so, like, you talk about the marathoner who just grabs a gel and like, Oh, maybe this will work. You know, like I think that, yeah, that last 10 K really is impacted by all those things. So I was looking and, and the top five men and the top five women, Four of the five guys grew up racing draft legal and four of the, so Max or sorry, Joe Skipper got fifth. He didn't grow up racing draft legal. And then um, Laura Phillip didn't grow up racing draft legal. So those are the two people in the top five who didn't race that. And the reason I bring that up is really small mistakes, like change your race in those races. And so they have, I, I bet you most of them have a hundred draft legal races of just these little mistakes so one thing that stood out to me is towards the end of the ride when um, Sam in the men's race and Sam in a ditliff before he got his penalty towards the end, they took off. And for a brief moment, I can't remember if it was Gustav or Christian, they like went with them and then they were like, oh, wait, cut it off. Bad idea. Do you remember that? I mean, I remember when that happened, but I didn't, I knew I wasn't watching at the time. So I didn't see so it like that. If, if historically, if you were strong enough to go with the move, you just went. And I think it's like, I think a lot of these guys know what they're capable of and they're like riding super efficiently within the rules. 
And I think most of them are not, I don't think many of them are trying to draft, right? Like there's not a lot of Tim Dons in the field. There's a lot of people who are just trying. Um, I'll tell you some stuff off air I learned in Italy. Anyways, um, there, there's like a lot of guys who are like, this is the rule. I'm riding legal. I'll swap turns with other guys because we're going, you know, we're going 47K an hour. And even at 15 meters back, there's a legal draft for us. There's a few more motorcycles on the course, but I think a lot of the guys are also aware of what's too stupidly fast. And they're just like, no, this is not my pace. I've got to go my pace. And so, yes, everybody's hauling for all the reasons we said, plus a lot of like training things. We'll probably have to have a whole nother three podcasts just to cover that part of it. But um, I think a lot of these guys are learning without even having done the race, the importance of proper pacing. And they're like, they've heard enough of it and information travels so fast these days that they're just like, oh, well, if I go too hard, I'll be too hot and you, I don't need to live through it to know that. And they just kind of say like, and so I thought that was really cool when I was watching the race. And I, I saw it with Chelsea too, where she was like at certain points, she'd be like a little further back or she like let the gap go out to like 15 or 20 seconds. And then it kind of claimed back, but she was like never out of it, but it was clear she was like riding to her own pace if that makes sense. And she just is that fast, but she has to ride to her own pace. And I think a lot of the people who are ex being really successful today are, are like taking an account of like, what is best for me? And it's totally okay if I'm not winning five hours into the race, because the race is eight hours long. Well, and that's that experience that we were just talking about, right? Like if you've been racing for, you know, 15 years already, very tactically, then you have so much more experience like you're just I mean racing really really fast takes a lot of a lot of experience and it just takes a lot of you know and so if you they've already grown up doing that and race like you said a hundred ITU races where that's just a huge part of it and and so it's just a different group of athletes entering Ironman now and and the world championships than it was 10, 15 years ago, you might have like two or three people who have that kind of experience versus, you know, like you said, there's like a whole handful of them. So it's cool. So, you know, it's really fun to watch the score. It's, it's kind of like, um, not, not that you want to say like, it's about time or something like that, because they've always been fast and amazing, right? Like anybody who's racing the world championships is just an incredible athlete and has been going fast for a really long time in different conditions, but it's cool to see so many men and women stepping up and going faster and faster. Like the, that it's doing what sport is supposed to do. It's evolving, it's getting faster and, and it's pushing each one of the men and women to go faster and pushing us as coaches too, right? To say like, we've got to think of, you know, different tactics and better training and like how soon as you walk away from events like this, it's good to look at it and go like, how we're, how are we going to keep up? How are we going to go even faster? And so it's cool. Like, it's really, really exciting to see. And it was really like, I think the second the men's race ended, I texted Jesse and I was like 740, dang, you know, like that's, it's just so cool to see it's, um, you know, and, and, and the women too, just seeing so many really, really competitive, fast women. It's like hats off to triathlon. It's, it's really moving forward, which is great. It's, it's fun. Yeah, I do feel bad for Lucy Charles, though. I didn't realize she's done the race four times or five. She won the amateur race and then four seconds as a pro. 
Goodness I, gracious. Everyone says they feel bad for her, but man, could you imagine getting second four times? It's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah but good. well that no i know that's amazing but i'm just saying like i'm glad she won a world championships last year at half iron man worlds and like just crushed everybody but and i also didn't realize that ann hogg has only done the race four times and she's finished third three times in one so it's it's like the age old like would you rather have one win in three thirds or all seconds like you'd probably have one win in three seconds right so <laughs> Um, even though if you look at it, it's like Lucy's. Three well, and I think one she still has plenty of time. So I think, you know, she, she with maybe on her fifth and sixth, she'll, she'll win it. Right. It's like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That yeah is your, I, oh, sorry. Go you got it. I just realized I a little bit lied. Like Lucy has done draft legal racing, but really like her background in swimming was so top notch and she was pretty young when she did get into triathlon but her level of swim racing was truly elite so but yeah it is cool to see people with different experiences be able to translate that in kona which kind of was like the rule before right that like you couldn't do that you needed to actually experience it in kona and i, I mean i think that kind of goes towards like maybe the science in training now that's evolved a bit so that you can actually be prepared to race in kona without actually having done it and yeah, this seemed like kind of an impossibility five years ago, right? I mean, how, yeah, I mean, so much of it is just like podcasts. Like there's a lot of podcasts where you can sit down and listen. That did like even in the build up to 2018, how many of those were out there? Not a lot. We were still like watching specialized how they train videos, which were all made up, you know? So, and that's, that's only, I mean, it's true, right? That's, like, that's, that, true, that's only like four or five years ago. So I, part of me thinks like, when the world shut down, a lot of information came out and a lot of people had nothing better to do than train and learn. And I mean, obviously we wish we didn't all have COVID, but as far as like some things advancing a lot, I definitely think long course triathlon, um, draft legal too, but long course in particular, as we're seeing was, uh, one of the things that benefited in the long run. And yeah, like, I think what we've kind of been saying too, is like, it's become a sport that you can get into when you're young as opposed to just like a sport you get into when you can't do any other sports and you do this for a while and then you get to be my age and you still try and at some point you leave but like you know it seems like people are getting into the sport like whatever 16 now and getting competitive and and you can see that with the 25 year olds winning indeed i'll tell you i was in andorra the week before and i ran into jan perdano like three times when i was over there twice in Girona and once in andorra anyways I just was like, definitely not. He's too injured, too broken. And I was like, obviously, I wish that magically you could have Gustav um, and Christian and Sam and Max race him from three years ago. Because I'm really curious how much of the benefits of a day like today would have affected him, uh, like how much faster he would have went. Because I think inevitably he would have went faster. Right. Mm -hmm. Um so that stuff, I, I am, I am a bit sad that he wasn't healthy because it's, you know, personally, I think maybe Alistair Brownlee is a, the best, you know, male triathlete ever, but it's, it's hard to make a case against Jan. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed that, that he wasn't healthy enough to, to like give it a go against those guys. Cause I'm really curious to see how it would have panned out. So that part of me is sad, but the other part of me is like, damn, like I, I don't know. It really warmed my heart to see guys like just hauling and then make the decision to like pace appropriately. And even when Gustav and Christian were like running together, relaxed early on, 
still hauling, but like having a plan and executing it, like that was really cool to watch. And I, I do hope that we see more of that in the future. Well, and, you know, I mean, look at Sam, like everyone was like, oh, he is doing this totally wrong. He shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Like the entire eight hours of the race, everyone was mm -hmm. saying he is wrong. And like, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> he was, he was right on, you know, like, sure. Gustav he was yeah. He was very right. But He's like the second fastest guy to ever do the course. Right. And like, you know, I, I feel like no matter what he did, Gustav was going to probably beat him that day, but I think he did everything he could. And like, yeah, I, I, so I think, you know, his pacing plan, even though it looked crazy was perfect for him. And so, yeah, I think that, and that's another, yeah, just kind of, kind of sign of the sport changing, like riding a 404 was like the right call for him, which I feel like when you look at, you know, like Chris Lado days where, that's you, you might try that, but then you run it or 20. Well, what was I his mean, record? Yeah, or 22. It's a lot, it's a lot or, yeah. slower, but 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 to be fair, later in the day, more wind, what you know, worse bike. Shout out track. Um, that was a joke for you people listening. Um, but yeah, does what does Sam ride? If he rides a trek, I look like a fool. So, anyways, I agree. So, yeah, Marilyn looks ready, she looks ready to. Did we cover it all the plug? I don't know. Yeah, it was cool to watch. And I think there's a lot of good takeaways. I think we didn't really, we didn't hammer out all the takeaways here, but I think it's definitely, you know, a, a good thing to look at and to think about kind of like the changes in the sport and what people need to do to, to stay on the cutting edge, because it's not the same as it used to be. I will say one thing, like we haven't talked much about Chelsea, um, but you know, she started like she's started triathlon through USA triathlon, like recruiting her essentially to do draft legal and she started with a lot of the, the best u.s girls who I, i've gotten to spend a little bit of time around and they all were just like not surprised in the slightest you know they're like that guy girl works hard she's down to business you know she's relatively quiet um but nobody was surprised that she was just killing people she's like she's talented she works hard she's focused she doesn't do anything crazy she's really level-headed um and that was, that was even before the race was starting. And then like after the race, everyone was just like so pumped. And that's pretty rare that a bunch, you know, like that you see a bunch of world-class athletes talking about somebody else just being like, yeah, they did it the right way. We're not surprised at all. And like, like we're a little bit afraid if we have to race her, even though they're already some of the best people in the world. Right. So I thought that was really cool. And obviously like the Norwegians get a bunch of street cred. But Chelsea's been doing the same thing. Um, you know, she was originally a professional runner, but she made the transition really smoothly and she took it extremely seriously. And, but like, wasn't negatively stressed out about it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing the Norwegians tend to do well is like, they're, they're having fun with it. Yes, they're training hard. Sure, they put stress on themselves um, or pressure, whatever you want to call that. But like, they're more just like about doing the work and not really worrying about it too much and then just doing things as best they can and, and taking it day by day. And if, if they have a mess up, it's not a big deal. It's on to the next one. So I think that's really cool too. And it's like less ups and downs without naming anybody in particular who has major swings and maybe has talked about a lot in the triathlon world. Yeah, I know it's way easier to stay level-headed and it, it makes sense that people like that are going to be able to execute on a big day, right? If they're able to kind of maintain that level-headedness throughout the year, then they'll be able to keep it on race day and execute well.
I I even think that about like Joe, right? Skipper. Mm-hmm. Like dude seems pretty even keel. Like he likes to joke around maybe more than your average triathlete, but I think that's like a a big takeaway. I think a lot of I mean, there's always been a lot of people who are level-headed who are quite successful in this sport, but I think that idea into the the mid-race decision making, I think hopefully we hear a few more people talking about that as the sport progresses. Agreed. Yeah, I feel like that was good. You can stop talking. Good, good, good mouthing <laughs> me that. Awesome job. But yeah, no, I think I think we'll keep on unpacking this and there'll be a lot of great takeaways. Uh, but I, I appreciate you guys spending a little bit of time um, talking about what you guys saw on there. It was fun. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, guys.